Well, good to see you all today. And let's take our uh, Bibles once again. <clears throat> we'll be turning to the book of Daniel. We're going to read uh, Daniel chapter 11, which is actually in the middle of this last revelation. We spoke of Daniel chapter 10 last week. And it's uh, the last revelation, if you will, that was given to Daniel. And it goes all the way to the end of the chapter. Um, today, we'll, we're going to read from uh, chapter 11, verse 1, through verse 35. Um, keeping in mind, some of it's, sometime, it's a little bit hard to follow. And for, for Daniel, it must have been an amazing uh, time of prophecy, or, or revelation as this. As this uh, just to review for just a second before we read. Chapter 10 is about um, Daniel praying for literally three weeks. Fasting and praying for three weeks. Um, that's hard for us to even wrap our head around. And it was during a time, actually, to the first month of the year, Nissan, which would involve or surround the time of the Passover. A very, very high, um, what should I say, a religious festival. Uh, and, during, and he went clear through that, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he would have fasted and prayed through that as well. So this was something that was very, very heavy in his heart. And maybe just to review this, just, just momentarily again, is the, the reason that they've, he's in prayer for the, and fasting for this, in, with intensity for this three full weeks is the fact that the previous chapter that we looked at, there was the time of which he saw in Jeremiah as he was reading through the, from the scroll. You guys have it easy, right? You've got a Bible, you can flip through the pages. Just think of a scroll. That's a little more difficult. Carry your scroll with you. Why don't you do that sometime? And it's amazing that he actually had it in the land that was very far away from Israel. Someone packed away a scroll to be there with, for Daniel to read. I mean, I, thought, I find that remarkable in itself. At any rate, getting way off track again. Um, Daniel had read in Jeremiah that they were going to be returning, that is, they being the Israelites, under a decree after 70 years. Didn't know exactly when it started, didn't know exactly uh, which phase of the deportation that it followed, but nonetheless, he knew it was approaching quickly. It was coming. To him, it was probably 68 to 69 years of him, him being in Babylonia, or at least in that region. And now to see that, he was excited about it, and he was praying in regards to that. And sure enough... That decree came for them to return to build a temple. And now two years have taken place, and Daniel is beside himself. Rather than the entire, you just think of this, the whole entourage, all of those that would have been for 70 years, gathered up and expanding in family in the sense of, of quantity, all of that going on. Literally, he, he would have, in his own spirit, he would have, you know, he's in his 80s. He didn't need to go back, you know, really. But he felt that as a mass movement, they would emigrate, if I don't even know if it's the right word, but back home. They would go back home. And literally what happened was nothing of the sort. About 42,000 total people went back. And then last week, I think we read in Ezra, uh, that there was a great deal of hostility. There was a sense of resistance. There was things in the sense of not wanting them to come back to their homeland. And, then it, and that's what really put Daniel on his knees. What is going on? There's 70 years that have taken place. Why isn't this turning into something that we would have, that I envisioned that we'd all go back home and we'd get back to God? What happens? What's going on? And then as he prayed, the very first day, the very first moment, there was an angel that was sent to give him the message. 
And as it was unpacked for us in chapter 10, which Daniel was able to see, that angel peeled back the veil into the invisible realm of the world of spiritual warfare. And for 21 days, that angel that brought the message to Daniel was fighting with the prince of Persia, which is a demon that literally would have been at the higher level of authority within that whole realm of the Persian Empire. And why would that be? Because obviously the Persians would have wanted to to destroy, to negate anything along the line of the Israelites being prospering and certainly not going back home. Now, in verse 1, we're going to read here in chapter 11. It actually ties into the last verse of chapter 10. Chapter 11, that denotation really shouldn't be there because it, it, it actually divides the thought. But what's going to happen, this angel is going to say, we're going to read it in just a second. He's going to start off saying, you know what? Not only did I, did I fight with this prince of Persia, which I wasn't winning. In fact, God sent Michael, the protector of the Israelites, to come and to help me. They, they literally together then fought off the prince of Persia, and he was able to come to Daniel to give him this message, this revelation, which obviously, if you, now this is the other thing. We're going to read a passage today in Daniel chapter 11 that is so amazing that this is the one chapter in the Bible that the biblical critics, and especially of Daniel, uh, uh, authorship of Daniel. This is the one thing that they can't stand to have in the scripture because it's so amazingly accurate. And to think that this man, Daniel, spoke of these things two, three, four hundred. Just the stuff we're going to talk about today would be probably from 200 to 400 years in the advance. That would be like, what if I said to Paul right now, we've talked about the last 22 years, but what if I said, Paul, why don't you predict 200 years from now what's going to happen? And put it in terms that we can go back historically and unfold it, and it makes sense. You'd still be teaching. That would be quite a thing, wouldn't it? That's quite a thing. That's quite a thing. And that's exactly what this angel, this messenger, brought to Daniel. A revelation, if you will, that unpacked and unfolded the future. Now, to Daniel, it was, a total, pro- it was total prophecy, total mystery. To us, we have a historical background and written narratives that allow us to see the accuracy of it and, and to minute details. This actually helps us to see that if the Bible says this prophetically to us historical, then why wouldn't we believe what is now prophecy to us? And even more important, when it says that the wages of sin is death, we can believe that. And we're saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. We can believe that. If you can get this stuff right, then it allows us a great deal of confidence to move forward. Okay. You say, I thought you were going to read. I am. I am. We're going to read. Now, what happens now in these first 35 verses, it's actually somewhat difficult to follow, but we'll let history guide us as we are going to read it through. Now, again, I'm going to read the last verse of chapter 10, which ties in nicely with chapter 11, verse 1. Daniel chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 20, actually. Verse 20. Now, this is the angel that has delivered the message, and he says, Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come from thee? And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Greece shall come. I I want to stop for just a second. Think of that for a moment. Here's this angel. He said, I'm going to reveal to you a message that 
obviously the enemy doesn't want you to know. And the reason he doesn't want you to know is because I'm going to give with such, such accuracy for two, three, four hundred years in advance, no one could possibly believe this. And even in the year 2021, there are literally hundreds of people cannot believe chapter 11 because it couldn't have possibly been written before it happened. And that's why. It's so amazing. But keeping that in mind, he's going to have to go back and fight with the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, which would be coming, the empire coming. Just think of that spiritual warfare. And if you don't think there's a, there's a prince of the United States, you're not listening. There's just as much demonic activity and spiritual warfare today than there's ever been. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Verse 21. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael your prince. Also, this is verse 1, chapter 11. It just flows. Also I, in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. Now, that, that's just taking a step back two years earlier. What had happened two years earlier? The decree went out to literally allow the Jews to go back home. Can you imagine the fight would have been, would have been on spiritually between the prince of Persia? And now God asked, it happened. The decree that went out from this emperor to allow the Jews to go back. Who do you think would have been against that? In fact, at this time, you see this angel, which Michael helped this time. He helped Michael last time two years ago. Just think of that. I mean, it's amazing what's going on here. Okay. I will stop commentating and let's just roll now. Verses 2 and on to verse 35. And now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia. And the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And all his strength through all his riches... I'm sorry, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grecia. And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken, shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven and, and not to his posterity, nor according to his dominion, which he ruled for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others beside, beside those. The king of the south shall be strong. And one of his princes, and he shall be strong above him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. And in the end of the years, they shall join themselves together. For the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the power of the arm. Neither shall he stand nor his arm. But she shall be given up. And they that brought her, and he that begat her, and he that strengthened her in these times. How'd you do with verse 6? Just as an aside, we'll come back to it. Sounds, whoa, what's going on? But out of a branch of her roots, verse 7, shall one stand up in his estate, which shall come with an army, and shall enter into the fortress of the king of the north, and shall deal against them, and shall prevail, and shall carry captives into Egypt, their gods, with their princes, and with their precious vessels of silver and of gold, and he shall continue more years than the king of the north. So the king of the south shall come into his kingdom and shall return unto his own land. And his son shall be stirred up, shall assemble a multitude of great forces, and one shall certainly come and overflow and pass through. Then shall he return and be stirred up even to his fortress. And the king of the south shall be moved with choler and shall come forth and fight with him, even with the king of the north, and he shall set forth a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into his hand. When he had half taken away the multitude, his heart shall be lifted up. He shall cast down many ten thousands, but he shall not be strengthened by it. For the king of the north shall return and shall set forth a multitude greater than the former and shall certainly come after certain years with a great army with much riches. And in those times there shall many stand up against the king of the south. Also, 
the robbers of thy people shall exalt themselves to establish the vision, but they shall fall. So the king of the north shall come and cast up a mount and take the most fenced cities, and the arms of the south shall not withstand. Neither his chosen people, neither shall there be any strength to withstand. But he that cometh against him shall do according to his own will, and none shall stand before him. He shall stand in the glorious land, which by his hand shall be consumed. He shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom, and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do. He shall give him the daughter of women, corrupting her, but she shall not stand on his side, neither be with him. After this shall he turn his face onto the isles, and shall take many. But a prince for his own behalf shall cause the reproach offered by him to cease. Without his own reproach he shall cause it to turn upon him. Then he shall turn his face toward the fort of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. Then shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes in the glory of the kingdom. But within few days he shall be destroyed neither in anger nor in battle. And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom. But he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And with the arms of a flood shall they be overflown from before him and shall be broken. Yes, also the prince of the covenant. And after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully. For he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. He shall enter peaceably even unto the fattest places of the province. And he shall do that which his fathers have not done, nor his father's fathers. He shall scatter among, among them the prey and spoil and riches. Yes, he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds even for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army. But he shall not stand. For they shall forecast devices against him. Yea, they that feed of the portion of his meat shall destroy him, and his army shall overflow, and many shall fall down slain. Both his, and both these kings' hearts shall be to do mischief, and they shall speak lies at one table. But it shall not prosper. For yet the end shall be at the time appointed. Then shall he return into his land with great riches, to his heart shall be against the holy covenant, and he shall do exploits and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come toward the south, but it shall not be as the former or as the latter, for the ships of, for the ships of Chittim shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return out of indignation against the holy covenant. So shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant. And arms shall stand on his part. They shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate." And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall, be, shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity and by spoil many days. Now when they shall fall, they shall be helping with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them, to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. How you doing? May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And now let's just pause and have God help us with this passage. Father God, we thank you for these moments that we have before us. Thank you for Daniel. Thank you for his tenacity, his fervor, his encouraging spirit that continued to just wage war against evil. Thank you for him being perse for persevering in fasting and prayer, standing firm, asking you fervently for answers, Father, to why 
This was happening. What was going on in Israel? What was going on? And Father, you answered. It took time, but the messenger came. Now, these words that Daniel penned, well before they ever happened, to us, we have the lens of history looking backwards to see how incredibly accurate. Of course, with you, history is your story. Thank you, Father, for what you'll do today. We will ask specifically that we would be open, that our minds would be focused on you, and that our teacher exclusively would give the Holy Spirit. That is our prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God that we can use it as a foundation. It is true. It's not true because we believe it. It's true because you spoke it. Thy word is truth. Father, now help us to see you never more clearly than now. As these moments go by, we rest on the power of the word, thanking you in advance for what you will accomplish in our lives. And may the Spirit guide, direct, and teach us. And these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Again, just a couple of things we need to keep in mind. If, if just reading that it was <laughs> maybe just a bit overwhelming, shall we say? Correct. I mean, it's oh, stop. Let me just get a let me let me get some breath. Right? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> There's so much. Huh, right? It, it almost leaves you hyperventilating. Okay. But the but the key moment was the fact. Or the, part of the key was is. We, we just need to read it. We just need to explore it. Letting the word of God come into us. Uh, that's, that's why I did that. Okay? It, and if you feel overwhelmed, what do you think Daniel felt like? What do you think Daniel felt like? Right? And in fact, that was one thing that is another, is we just think of, of chapter 10, the fact that God answers our prayers. Demons can delay our prayers. As weird as that sounds, that's exactly what happened. And they can today. That's why we need to persevere in prayer, particularly for America today. Is there not a better time to be a Daniel, get on our knees, and just, just get after it? Exactly. Now, the other thing, we didn't speak of it last week. We got, there was just a lot going on last week, but there's a couple of different times that Daniel was completely without strength, completely. He saw what we would think a pre-incarnate uh, image or vision of Jesus Christ. That just completely wiped him out. It would do, it would do that to us, too, to see the holiness, the righteousness in a, in a level that I can't even describe for you. And all of a sudden, poof, it's there. Uh, it would just wipe you out. But when, even when the angel came, he was without strength. And on two different occasions, that angel strengthened him when, when he was in a weakened position. I, I don't want you to miss that because when you're at the weakest is literally the potential to be at the strongest because it's no longer you. It's God within you. And I'm speaking to those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is nothing more than a strange phenomenon that you will never understand. You cannot understand God's strength until you release yourself to Him. Then things transform from the inside out. And literally, we're talking about here, when we are at our weakest, we become the strongest because God infiltrates us from the inside out. That's exactly what has actually happened to Daniel on numerous occasions as well. It's, it's an amazing thing that God really, the way he works. Now, um, why was this given? We spoke briefly because Daniel asked about it. Wasn't it going to be 70 years and then all of a sudden things are wonderful? And God's answer is, oh, no. No, the 70 years was just phase one. We literally will have to go from here, Daniel, to the very end of time 
under a sense of a discipline program because of rebellion. The Israelites can't get it right. Now, rather than us throwing stones at the Israelites, I'm very open to receiving the same for ourselves, particularly in America. Having a start that we had in the 1700s um, for religious freedoms to be returned, for us to see and know God as the God and the creator of all things early on in this nation's history. And watching that develop and watching God bless us. And where's the best place to be is in the circle of obedience. And what is outside the circle of obedience is the very reason that the Israelites are continuing to be in the chastening mode or the discipline alley, if you will. It's because of rebellion. Rebellion is a resistance to authority. God, the ultimate authoritarian. And today, I'm just amazed still in America how far we've fallen. All of the challenges that I see and maybe that you see, I still don't think we've fallen far enough because there's still a vast majority of people, it seems as such, I might be wrong, that still do not want to, if they admit there's a God, they're not ready to concede and to to confess their sins before this God and say, the reason we're here today in America is the same reason that Daniel is crying out to God in chapter 9. It's because of our rebellion. It is because of our sins. It's because we've walked away from you. That's why we are in the state we are in this country. It's amazing how these things parallel. Now, I'm not trying to say America is the chosen people. I'm not doing that. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His principles are the same for all peoples. He wants you to obey. (laughs) The wages of sin is death, and the gift of eternal life is to those through his grace, through Jesus Christ's blood. Those are the rules, quite honestly. And the Jews have rejected that. They rejected rejected from Deuteronomy even. You can go back and you say, if you rebel against me, God said, this is what's going to happen. Guess what? That's what went on to happen. That's where we're going to go all the way to the end of the tribulation before the Jews finally realize. In Zechariah chapter 12, it talks about they will see him. Who's him? The Messiah, the anointed one, their Christos, the one that literally died for them. Now, today, there's a remnant. There's just a very small portion of that. In Romans chapter 9, verses chapters 9 through 11, Paul speaks of that no matter what. Throughout all of this time frame and period, God retains a remnant There's part of the Jewish people that are saved. They realize that Jesus is the Messiah. But when we get to the end of the tribulation period, we won't even get into that probably until uh, we'll look at tribulation next week. And then chapter 12, we'll talk about kind of the finale of all that. Literally, we're still at a phase right now in Daniel's vision. The Jews don't get it. They don't get it at all. They don't get it at all. But keep in mind, all the things we're going to talk about today, the reason that these kings are described for us is because that geographical area is all focused of all of this stuff in the first 35 verses. It's right there in what's called the glorious land, the promised land, which we know as Israel. The north and south kings, (laughs) you know what's in the middle of the north and south? Now, geographically, north is north of Israel, south is south of Israel. Guess what happens when the north and south kings fight? They're usually fighting in Israel. Israel is in the mix and absolutely in the middle of That's why Daniel received this vision. It's about his people. The reason they're in this is because of rebellion. The reason that all of these these historical events have happened because it is right literally in the center of all of the warring that takes place. Israel is dead center. Okay? (laughs) Let's go on. Now, just from a review of previously in Daniel, tell me, you guys should be able to tell me now. This is just a quick review. Um, there are Gentile kingdoms 
that have taken place literally because the Jews rejected God. I think part of that, a real epicenter of that was when, do you remember something happened that I think is really big? Uh, Samuel was acting as a prophet, and all of a sudden, who was leading, well, by the way, who was leading, acting as a leader for the nation of Israel from the time they literally came out of Egypt? This it might be a trick question, but just go for it, and I'll help you through it. Who is the leader coming out? Now, you're, I know what you're going to say, but I'm not going to accept that. You're going to say, Moses. Okay, stop. I don't want that answer. Okay, how did I do? God. God was. Yeah. yeah, he was the leader. And how did he lead? A cloud and a pillar of fire. They knew where they were supposed to go, and if they followed, literally followed God, okay, you'd say, man, I'd like that stuff today. I'll tell you what, we got something better. we got the Word of God. We have the Bible that is so amazingly explicit in us understanding His nature, His character, what He wants of us, what ultimate, I mean, the ultimate nirvana is chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation. We're going to talk about that a little bit toward the end of today. Because of what God predicted through Daniel in chapter 11, I can say with confidence that chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation are going to happen. There will be no tears. It will be, I mean, it's just to look at God as the light of heaven, to see him for what he is. I can't describe those things for you, but they're going to happen. They're going to happen. Thank, praise God. Praise God. Where was I at? Where's my vein? Where were we talking? Where were we going? Oh, who is leading this, the, the, the people of Israel? God was. Something happened, and this was really, I believe, what started them on this tailspin of losing sight of their God. They wanted a king. Just like, now keep this in mind, how many times have we heard this? We want a king just like all the other nations. We want to be just like them. Uh, when I was growing up, they called that my, there was, well, we want to be like the Joneses. You guys hear that? And the ones that are laughing are those that grew up in my era. That's probably completely foreign to you that are younger, shall we say. Okay? Got to keep up with the Joneses. So if the Joneses got a TV, we need to get a TV. Well, my dad had a way of, he had a way of saying that. Because as children, that's, you know, you know, you're looking around. It's kind of like the Israelites. Look, wait a minute, our neighbor has a king. He looks like they're getting along pretty well. Look at that, it's kind of cool. We don't really get to see and talk with our king because he's... God, think of that. That's really stupid, isn't it? I mean, that's the ultimate, right? That's the ultimate. It's like Adam and Eve walking around the garden in the afternoon with God and, and literally there with them, and they sold out because Satan throws them this bill of goods that they could know they could be like God. Wow, right? I remember one time asking my dad, I don't even know what it was. It made no point because I got at the bottom of it. It's amazing how you can slice through all the stuff that you thought made sense. And he said this. Maybe, I don't know what. I'll just say, what did I ask for? I don't know. I have no idea. But I asked for something because someone else had it. So I went to school and I saw someone else that I was friends with had that. And he said, we don't need to keep up with the Joneses. We are the Joneses. <laughs> how do you argue with that? I just turned around. Right? Just turn around. And you know what? Some, it's the same place for us in our spiritual journey. Don't look for someone else. Enjoy what God has given us. 
Enjoy what he's teaching you. Enjoy the steps that he's given you because you're on a very individual journey in this life that God has prepared specifically for you right now. You were born for such a time as this. Esther was reminded that from Mordecai, her uncle. Esther, could it be that you have been given this time right now to have delivered the Israelites? You know what? I look out across this, this group of people here, and God has prepared you for such a time as this. Praise God. Now, the question I was going to have for you just to review is, uh, tell me then, as the Jews rejected God by wanting a different king, that was the beginning of the end, really it was. And from that point, everything else became small matters when he'd asked them to do something. They're on the 70-year uh, punishment or discipline or chastening era because they rejected God's command of having the seventh year Sabbath. And for 490 years, they missed every seventh year. So thereby, their 70 years are going to have to literally go to captivity to maybe imprint in their mind, God is right, he's in authority, and you need to obey him. And they didn't get it. They're still not getting it. In fact, today, one of the primary things, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the primary thing on an Israelite's mind today is the fact that they want a temple that they can go back to the sacrificial system. And literally, Jesus Christ died for their sins 2,000 years ago. That blows my mind. What do you think it does to God? But God knows the end from the beginning. And this is what's really cool about this. This, this is continuing to flow at the end of the tribulation. Glory to, I, I, what is it going to take? I, there is so much pain and anguish and chastening and discipline, whatever you want to say in Israel's life. But at that time, they will see him for who he is. Hallelujah. Praise God. And in the meantime, we need to be extra thankful because Jesus Christ said in Matthew, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, I would as a mother hen have put you under my wings, but you would not. And because of those moments when Jesus literally stepped away, the Gentiles were open to salvation. You're here today because the Jews have rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. They rejected him as their Savior. And God used this parenthesis, that's what I call it, of time, which is over 2,000 years now, that literally God has set Israel aside. Not, not, he didn't leave them, didn't kick them out of the tent. He set them aside. He said, I'm going to work with the Gentiles. I'm going to be in a time of grace. I'm going to be a time of grace and truth. And unfolding that, all of those who will come to Jesus Christ will be saved. That's fantastic, isn't it? It's unreal that God would be that open to us. The four Gentile kingdoms that have taken place on the world, on the world front, are number one, Babylon started, okay? And that's the one that da uh, David, Daniel lived through. He, he literally saw its rise. He saw its fall. On the very night that it collapsed, he was called in to give advice on the hand, the portion of a hand that was writing on the wall and said, time's up, turkey. And as he deciphered that, that wasn't quite, that was, that was Larry's paraphrase, but it literally is on, unfolded that, that very night. The second world kingdom took over, and that was the Persians. 
the Persians. Now we're actually right there in the Persian Empire, of which Daniel is speaking of right now. This verse 2 of chapter 11 would be very contemporary for him. Okay? But there's just one verse given to it, and from there it goes to the third world kingdom, which would be Greece. And then the fourth one would be the Roman Empire. Now, it would seem, if, if, you, if you didn't study history, Rome never was conquered. It fell from within and is at a, I would call a very unstable state at this point. But the Antichrist will come out of the fourth Gentile kingdom when his time is appointed. He will come out of the Roman Empire. And at the end of the Roman Empire, what is the last kingdom? Jesus Christ will rule and reign forever and ever and ever. Okay, that's our background. Let's, let's just dive in now and let's look. You know, the outline for chapter 11, I, I read quite a few. You know, you read and you listen and whatever. I couldn't find anybody that had really a very good outline of chapter 11. It does not line very well. The best that I could see that came up with is there's five kings that are prominent in chapter 11, and their names all start with an A. Boy, isn't that capturing? I mean, that, well, I feel, are, do you guys feel better about that? Well, it's okay. Let's run with that, huh? Okay. So the first one we're, we're, that is announced is in verse 2 of Daniel chapter 11, verse 2. Now I will show thee, the angel speaking, the truth. Isn't, why? Have you gotten one of those messages lately on TV or on the newspaper or anywhere else? I'm going to show you the truth. They're spinning it, aren't they? There's always a spin. But this is the angel of God sent with a clear, concise, truthful message. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. So what we really want to do is go through history and find out that last king, the one that was extremely wealthy, the one that showed that strength at a time of, against Greece. That would have been Ahasuerus or Xerxes. Oh, have you heard that name before? Yeah, they're one and the same, Xerxes and Ahasuerus. Where do you know where he's from? What, what, what era? Oh, by the way, what's our time frame uh, of where we're at for Daniel? Let's make sure we understand this. It's about, we put it up, oops. Hmm. We put it up last week. What, what's the time? Anybody? Yeah, 530, we're going to go with 536 B.C. That's our time frame. So Ahasuerus, which is actually uh, in this, in this uh, revelation, the angel speaks of it as being the fourth, and his campaign was 486 B.C. to 465 B.C., which would be quite a bit into the, into the future. Now, you would find this man in Esther's time. This is in Esther's time. Now, there was three others before him. Cambyses, for those of you that are interested, it's C-A-M-B-Y-S-E-S. He was king from 530 to 522 B.C., followed by pseudo, or a false, like pseudo, P-S-E-U-D-O, pseudo, Smyrtus, 522 and 521. Now, how did he get to be, how would you like to be called false, false Smyrtus? He looked like Cambyses' son, and he was an imposter and literally took over the throne for a couple of years. Then he was taken out by a king called uh, Histopus, and he was from 521 to 486. But Ahasuerus is the one that, we, that he's speaking of here in verse 2. He would be the one that was in Esther's time. He was the one that was going to go over to Greece 
and uh, kind of whip up on them. And actually, Greece beat him handily, very handily. Now, from there, he goes quickly into verses 3 and 4 to Greece, which would be the following kingdom. And you can tell from Ahasuerus taking a beating from Greece that that was coming. It was about 150 years after that, though, that actually Greece became the the next world empire. Ahasuerus went over there, got beat, and 150 years later, that whole thing began to take full shape and root. Think of that now. Do you see how far ahead we are? This is all all to, to him future. Verses 3 and 4, And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. Who's that? We've met him before. We found him in chapters, actually, a number of chapters. Who's, who's this guy? Who's Greece's, who, who's, if I was going to say this, this is, a, this is truly, the greatest military leader of all time in all history, at least to this point, is Alexander the Great. He finally ran out of world to conquer, but he, they say his army was so tired that they couldn't have probably went any further anyway. He would just have completely wore them out. They never really ever lost. He was a military genius. And at 33 years of age, he died in an alcoholic stupor. Now, watch, watch the, let's keep going. In verse 4, um, and when he shall stand up. In other words, just when he's got it all together. Isn't, now, that's an interesting thing, too. Have you seen someone that finally has gotten everything they've wanted? And there's a bit of pride that takes over. Maybe a lot of pride that takes over. Maybe a whole lot of pride has taken over. Are you with me? You know what happens usually? Pride goeth before the fall. This is another one of those fall things, shall we, right? Uh, Alexander is, uh, has it all, and he's about to fall. When he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken, shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven. And watch this. This is interesting. These small details are thrown in here. But not to his posterity, nor according to his dominion, which he ruled. Why would you throw that in there? Because history tells us exactly what happened. Alexander died himself at age 33, but there's also the things that we know from history that this makes perfect sense. If you were going to look at that, Alexander in his getting it all together and then he dies or is whatever, would there be somebody in his family that would take it over? This prophecy says very distinctly nothing in his family or posterity. Now, he had a half-brother who was mentally retarded. He had an illegitimate son, and then he also had a son that was not even born yet. His wife was pregnant with his son when he died. All three of those were murdered after his death. Interesting that that's thrown right in there, not of his posterity. See, I find that as, again, amazing little nuggets of accuracy that allow us to see God knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's talking about. So then it talks about, okay, it's not his posterity. Who is Who got the kingdom then? Well, he goes on to say that. And this is where it starts to take shape for Israel. Let's continue on verse 4. Not according to his dominion, which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others beside those. Now, at that point, if you go back to history, you'll find that it took about 22 years. I think I'm right on that. I'm not positive. That it was split into four pieces. Cassander ended up with Macedonia. Lysimachus ended up with Thrace and Asia. The two that we want to particularly deal with are the two that we will find as the king of the north and the king of the south. The king of the north would be the Seleucids. Okay? They were in Syria. And again, north of what? North of Israel. If it's north of Israel, that's Syria. If you're south of Israel, that would be Egypt. And that was the, Ptolemy, the Ptolemies, P-T-O-L-E-M-Y. 
the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. From here on, almost all of this remaining portion of this chapter are talking about king of the south, king of the north. It's the Seleucids versus the Ptolemies. Now, why does that just isolate that? Because who are we talking about? We're talking about Israel. If you look from Egypt to Syria, guess what's in the middle? Israel. Every single time one of those guys was mad at the other one, they traipsed right through Israel and beat everybody up on the way down. It's kind of like when somebody's had a bad day at the office, you come home and you kick the dog. And then show it your wife. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Right? It, but, isn't it, but, isn't it, it, but I'm telling you, you will see this through this entire chapter, that literally when they got beat, they went back to Israel and just took out their vengeance on Israel. You find that actually on the world front today. If you can't get anything done, just do something to the Jews. <laughs> Am I not right? It's exactly true. And the peace treaties, what a joke. Well, we'll get into those in a moment. Let's keep going. Maybe a couple moments. So here we go. Uh, and it, now with that in mind, now we go right into the kings of the north and the south. Again, now this, this, is, this is key because this is what you've got to remember. If I say, if the Bible says the king of the south, you think Egypt. Okay? If I say king of the north, you say Syria. And now, again, one more thing with that. The king of the south would be Egypt, and that would be a what family? The Ptolemies. Okay? If I say the north king, you think Syria and the family is Seleucids. What I think I can tell I better do, I better write it down. How's that? Let's write some stuff down. Is that better? <laughs> That's better. I, that was really a nice way of saying, why don't you just write that stuff down? Let's see. How did I do? Seleucid? I think that's right. And Ptolemy. That's essentially the first two guys. This, oh, okay, now you guys are going to, this is a quiz. So Seleucid is from where? Syria. Syria. And that would be north. Okay, I can tell this is going to be helpful for you, right? It's going to be helpful. North. Okay. Unless you start trying to throw east and west stuff in, then we're going to really get really lost. Okay, so Ptolemy is from Egypt, and that would be south. Okay, so this now, as you as you look at this on the board, every time you see king of the, you, you see these things. This is what's in our mind, and you know the reason is in between that little nation Israel. In fact, Laramie, if you could, just give me any kind of a map of uh, like uh israel and, and it's big enough so we can see egypt and syria so it actually shows us okay if you, if you can do that please okay so here we go let's start now verse five and the king of the south shall be strong and one of his princes and he shall be strong above him and have shall, and have dominion and shall i see and he shall be strong above him and have dominion his dominion shall be a great dominion in the end of years they shall join themselves together for the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. I want to stop there for just a second. Um, if you remember back, remember when uh, David's son was, his one son, it, it, David's son was the one that became king. I'm, am I helping you now? David's king that became son. Became, <laughs> thank you. Let's just go with Solomon. That would be David's son who became a king. Not David's king who became a son, even though that could have happened. It wasn't really quite that order. So Solomon, what do you know about Solomon? He was wise. He was wise, very wise. He was the wisest fool that ever lived. He liked women. He liked women. <laughs> Many women. Excuse me? He was rich. He was very rich. And, and what? 
He was the richest. He was the ri probably the richest individual that's ever lived on the face of this earth. Yeah. It was very peaceful, yeah. But that's what I want to get to. One of the things that you really wouldn't want to get in a war with, because at that time, I'm telling you what, Israel rocked. Israel rocked. <laughs> they were in charge. Solomon had, in fact, there's people, what was that lady's name? Uh, she was from Queen of Sheba. She shows up in town, what? To just look and watch and see and observe and see who this guy is. Watch and learn, right? He was that kind of person. He was that kind of person. Okay, and then wise, you got two women, right? Remember that little deal? And a baby. Yeah, and a baby. One baby's dead and one baby's alive, and here come these two women, and they're both claiming the same child. Now, that sounds interesting, doesn't it? Now, here's a king. He's sitting on the throne, and here come these two ladies, and there's one child, and they're both screaming at one another, saying, each one of it's my child. Well, the first thing we know, that couldn't possibly be one child that they both, so someone's wrong here. Okay, they could both be wrong for that matter. But it was really interesting how Solomon very quickly says, uh, "Bring me a sword, would you please?" A sword? What is this? You know, I'm wondering the ladies right now. What do you? What? Whoa, whoa! What do we need to do with a sword right now? And he said, "Go ahead and just cut the baby in half, and then give one half to each other, to each other." And then that's when the truth come out, right? Because the real mother said, "No, no, 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 no! Don't kill him for anything. Just, just give him to her." And the and the woman that wasn't, she said, "Yeah, go ahead, cut him in half." Solomon said, no, just give the baby now to the one that didn't want to kill him because that's the real mother. <gasps> How did he figure that right? right? That was what he did just on an everyday basis. He was brilliant, but he was so foolish because rebellion, and I'm going to use that word a lot, rebellion is our enemy. It was Solomon's enemy. It was Israel's enemy. It's the world's enemy because literally it's what got Satan in trouble. He rebelled against God. He rebelled. Rebellion is pride on steroids. I can't think of another way to say it. Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22. And you should write that down. 1 Samuel chapter 15 verses 20. And just read the chapter. Actually, that's your homework. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Read that. That's a fantastic passage. It talks about God giving instructions. The Amalekites were to be destroyed completely from one end to the other. Saul chose not to. Samuel shows up in camp after there's a lot of stuff going on and he says, what's that bleeding of the sheep that I hear? Oh, well, uh, yeah, well, you know, the people, told, the people wanted to keep that stuff. And then he starts to unfold his story. And then Samuel said this. He says, is it better to sacrifice than it is to obey the word of God? The answer is no. Rebellion is worse than witchcraft. Verses 22 and 23 are that focus point. Rebellion is very much viewed from God as an absolute cardinal focus problem in humanity's issues. It's the basis of sin. It's the basis of pride. It's the basis of everything that God hates. And that's what's brought us really literally to Daniel's revelation with the nation of Israel is rebellion on their part. Why is America in the shape they're in today? Rebellion. rebellion. God in chapter 1, I, I believe we're in chapter 1 of Romans, that we have been given over to a reprobate mind. And a reprobate mind is a mind that cannot think clearly. I'm, it's, it's amazing to watch the people in high leadership positions that really are not able to think rationally and truthfully. 
And truth matches reality. That's the other thing about truth. Truth is not unrealistic. Truth matches reality. That's what's interesting about God's word is it really matches reality. Thankfully, it's, well, how would you like to have truth that didn't match reality? Oh, my goodness. It would be terrible. Okay, let's keep rolling. Um, I'm not sure where I was at exactly. Oh, yeah, we were talking about Solomon, right? And I never got to the punchline. I'm yeah, sure everybody's okay. so patient here, so patient. We get off on these little branches, and the True Seekers group is the same. And they say, oh, my goodness, there he goes again. Zoom off that way, right? Okay, so anyway, um, tell me in Solomon's day how they were, tr- and we talked about the fact that it was a peaceful reign. What was one of the reasons or one of the focuses, one of the attempts, one of the play in the book, shall we say, to make peace be part of this whole thing? It was an arrangement. And this is how I think that poor Solomon got into the women game. Because literally, there was a neighbor, shall we say, a neighbor nation that said, you know what, the best way for me to have a relationship with Solomon is to give him my daughter. Doesn't that sound, this sounds so good, right? It's like we're all in the family together. You could have a, you could have a, a, a series about that, all in the family. Oh, there was one like that. That was way out of different vein, of course. But nonetheless, you know what I'm saying is that was how they tried to do peace alliances. So now what we're talking about right here is there's one that's underway. The North and the South, which hated one another. The Ptolemies and the Seleucids, there was... I mean, it was enemy, 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 enemy. So what we have, let's read this one about this peace treaty that's going to try to be sought after. The king, the king's daughter of the south. So we have Ptolemy. He sends his daughter up north. Now, there's a slight problem. The king of the north is married. But that's taken care of. He divorces his wife, marries the Egyptian daughter, and then it gets interesting. The former wife of the north, this is all historic. This is not, this is not whimsical. This is because I'm going to tell you, and then this, this verse is going to make a lot more sense to you. Okay? She's really ticked off. So she kills the new bride that was the daughter of Ptolemy and all of her, all of her assistants whatever that entourage had moved up with. And then, guess what? So the husband sees the light. That would be this guy, the, you know, the, salute, the, king of the king of the north. He gets remarried to her, and then she poisons him. How you doing? Didn't have to make this up, could you? How would how you like, Paul, could you have predicted this? No. No. It's too crazy, isn't it? Okay, now, knowing that just took place... Let's read the verse and watch it develop, okay? Now, who's, oh, by the way, who's not dead? The wife. The original wife. The original wife. Keep that in mind. Okay, let's keep going. Here we go. Verse 6. And in the end of the years, they shall join themselves again. There's there's supposed to be this, this peace alliance. For the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the power of the arm, neither shall he stand, nor his arm. But she shall be given up, and they that brought her, and he that begat her, 
and he that strengthened her in these times. But out of a branch of her roots shall one stand up in his estate. Who's, whose roots? The original wife of the north. She has one by the name of Calenticus that shows up out of, out of nowhere, really, because everybody else is dead in the north. Now, it goes on the same in the south. He just short a daughter, okay? I said that so not nicely. You, 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 you know, it was not very, that was just nonchalant. I'm sorry, but it's what happened, okay? But in the north, it's very chaotic because not only have we killed the new wife, and all of hers, we've actually killed the king. So the wife, the original wife, out of her roots, out of her lineage, comes this new king. And sure enough, that's what history tells us. This guy's name is, I think I said it right, Callinicus. Now let's keep watching this. But out of a branch of her roots, shall one stand up in, her, in his estate? Why would they say one? Because Callinicus had two sons. He had two sons. One of them actually was demised pretty early. And then the next king we're going to talk about. Oh, we haven't followed our, our outline, have we? Number one, the first king was... Oh, we, we lost you early on, didn't we? <laughs> you remember the guy from Persia? The guy was rich. His, I, I can give it. I'll get Ahasuerus. No. Do you want me to write that on the board? No, you don't want me to. <laughs> Ahasuerus, or an easier one for you, let's just make the A a X, and you call him Xerxes. Xerxes is so much easier, isn't it? Z, no, X-E-R-X-E-S, Xerxes. Well, let's go with that. That's, that's an A, Xerxes. Oh, we'll go with the A there, A, Xerxes. Okay, so number two, we've gone to the Greece, the Greece um, Alexander the Great. So we have Ahasuerus, or A, Xerxes, and then we have Alexander the Great, and then we go to the next A, which I haven't given to you yet. You see, this guy by the name of Callinicus had two sons, came out of the root of the original wife, and one of those sons went away rather quickly. But that guy that really did rise up, we'll read the verses, his name was Antiochus the Great. Antiochus the Great. Should I write that down for you? Maybe. He was extremely powerful. There's no question about it. Let's keep reading. Verse 7, out of a branch of her roots shall one stand up in his estate. Whose estate? The guy that was poisoned. That would be the Seleucids. Which shall come up with an army and shall enter into the fortress of the king of the north and shall deal against them and shall prevail. And shall also carry captives into Egypt their gods with their princes and their precious vessels of silver and of gold. And he shall continue more years than the king of the north. So the king of the south shall come into his kingdom and shall return into his own land. But his sons shall be stirred up and shall assemble a multitude of great forces. And one shall certainly come and overflow and pass through. Then shall he return and be stirred up even to his own fortress. The king of the south shall be moved with choler. Now, what's going on here is, is we have, um, if you go back into history again, Antiochus the Great, he takes off with 75,000 men. And he heads into Egypt. He is going to wipe them out. He is over this whole thing. You know what would be worse than to have somebody showing up in our yard and there's a whole lot of guys? What would we do? Well, I'm going to get my own army. Some of you said, no, let's run. <laughs> okay. but, there's a, but there's a catch. This is our home. Where do we run to, right? 
So, so the Egyptians, actually, that guy, he shows up with a, his own army of about 73,000. This is all historical, for, historical fact. 73,000 men, about 5,000 cavalry, and you're ready for this? 73 elephants. <laughs> what do you do with an elephant? Well, if you think about it, they can really, they can really rock and roll and, and be a barricade, can't they? I mean, they'd probably do a number on this building, right? Well, when it was all said and done, uh, they lost three of, the guy in the north lost three of his elephants because he had elephants too. Yeah, everybody, if somebody's got an elephant, other people have elephants. But again, do you see the battles taking place? Boom, boom, north, south, north, south. Who's in the middle? Who's in the middle? Israel. Israel. Every time, they, it, all the time, they're just beat up all of the time. And I, I'm amazed today. I'm, in the world theater today, who's in the forefront? The Jews. You talk Middle East, somebody's thumping on them or want to. Want to more than anything. Okay. When he has taken away the multitude, verse 12, his heart shall be lifted up. He shall cast down many ten thousands, but he shall not be strengthened by it. For the king of the north shall return and shall set forth a multitude greater than the former. He's going to come with more this time. And shall certainly come after certain years with a great army and with much riches. It's interesting that, again, did you see what the Bible said? After certain years. In other words, he was... He was literally beaten, the guy from the king of the north. He went with his big army, and he was literally beaten. In fact, Ptolemy took out tens of thousands. You saw it written, in the, and that's exactly what happened. So he went home, and he got a bigger army, and it says after certain years. Why would you say that? Because it took 13 years for him to come back. It, amazing. You, you, again, you see the, in the incredible accuracy that Daniel was given and that we are given today historically, which would have been prophetically to them. Now watch. Verse 14. And in those times, there shall many stand up against the king of the south. Also, the robbers of thy people shall exalt themselves to establish the vision, but they shall fall. That's a passage that I I have underlined in my Bible. The robbers of thy people. Who are the robbers of thy people? If you look at it in the Hebrew, it actually means to be covenant breakers. A robber of thy people. Covenant breakers. Whose covenant? Whose covenant? Whose covenant would it be? God's. That's why we're here where we're at. They would sell God out. That's how they got here. Now think of what they're trying to do right now. They're literally, okay, keep in mind, we've got the north, the south. The north guy, which is this guy, Antiochus the Great, he's going with a more massive affront again to take out, guess who? The guy in the south. And all of a sudden... What we would call mercenaries, renegades, rebels, covenant breakers. The people are just hanging around on the side saying, you know what? I think this is the time to choose sides. Let's choose the king of the north because he's going to go down and we're going to whoop up on the king of the south. And then he's going to reward us by giving us freedom because we were with him. Does that sound like good logic? It doesn't work that way though, does it? That's humans trusting humans. Oh, that sometimes doesn't work out, does it? Did you see who they were not trusting in? God. God. Exactly right. That's today. Again, we look at our nation today. When we're trusting other people, we're trusting other leaders, we're trusting other situations, we're going to be sorely disappointed. Just as these covenant breakers. And again, that's another word for rebellious. They rebelled against God. They didn't trust him. Okay. And actually, Antiochus the Great won. 
But he didn't reward them with anything other, maybe a little bit of money, but they surely didn't get freedom. So the king of the north, verse 15, shall come and cast up a mount, shall take the most fenced cities, and the arms of the south shall not withstand. Neither shall his chosen people, neither shall there be any strength to withstand. But he that cometh against him shall do according to his own will. And none can stand before him, and he shall stand in his... In, did you see it? He shall stand in the glorious land. Where's that? Israel. Which by his hand shall be consumed. Once again, taking and pillaging the, 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 uh, the land of Israel. He shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do. He shall give him the daughter of women, corrupting her, but she shall not stand on his side, neither be with him. Now, let's... We got, we got another situation. You can see it. It said he gave her... Now, this is, we're, again, we're talking about Antiochus the Great. He's the focus of this next A. And so he's from... This is, I'm helping you. Yep. He's, a, he's from the Seleucid family from the north. Now, what he's trying to do now is to expand his empire. So what he's going to do now is he's going to give the daughter of women. That's, did you see how it was described? This is like... Um, I would have to say the picture of femininity. This would be the most glorious, the most beautiful, the most perfect woman that could be possibly imagined. Okay? And he's going to find that woman, and he's going to give her to the king of the south. That was Cleopatra. It was Antiochus the Great's daughter. Isn't it amazing it all comes together? Okay. Excuse me? Yes, Antiochus the Great is from the north. His daughter is Cleopatra. She came from the Seleucids. She, she goes to Egypt. Now, now, think of this for a moment. What was the plan from Antiochus the Great? He's going to use Cleopatra to literally own the Egyptian kingdom. He forgot about one little thing in the middle. It's called love. Cleopatra loved the Egypt king, more than she did daddy. So daddy was left out in the cold. <laughs> Let's watch what it says. Again, how could you, there, Paul, could you have predicted this? No, I don't think so. Okay, let's keep going. He, verse 17, we'll read it again. He shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom. He, he wants the south. This is Antiochus the Great. And upright ones with him. Thus shall he do, and he shall give him... That's the king of the south, the daughter of women, Cleopatra, corrupting her. In other words, trying to control her, but she shall not stand on his side, neither be with for him. After this, shall he turn his face onto the isles. He's mad. And shall take many, but a prince for his own behalf shall cause the reproach offered by him to cease. Now, the, the land of the isles would be in the Mediterranean islands, which would be in the Greece area. Okay. He was going to take over Greece. But something is happening because we have the next world empire that's beginning to take form. And the Romans literally beat Antiochus the Great. The neck, now, they're not, this is not a brand new, this is not the new empire, but it's growing. And it has power. And he's off to try to go conquer somebody else, Antiochus the Great. And guess what? As he goes there, the Romans beat him. Now, watch what happens. Are you guys doing Okay. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, sh I should have brought you notes, right? After this, shall he turn his face onto the isles to Greece, the Mediterranean, and shall take many, 
But a prince for his own, his own behalf, this would be the new Roman Empire beginning to emerge, shall cause the reproach offered by him to cease. And he shuts him down. Without his own reproach, he shall cause it to turn upon him. Then he shall turn his face toward the fort of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. You know what happened to Antiochus the Great? He got whipped by the, by the kind of the emerging Roman Empire. And all of a sudden, now this sounds really weird to you, or it should sound weird to me, is he goes back home. Where's home? Syria. Yep. He goes to Syria, and he actually goes in and tries to, to loot a temple of Ju- Jupiter, which is in his own country. Okay? So he goes in to just grab. It just makes no sense to me. But you know what happened to him? The people of that city literally killed that king, that Antiochus the Great. Just took him out and finished him. And that's exactly what it says. He's gone and it's over with. Ting, ting. Just keep checking the boxes of accuracy, doesn't it? It's hard to keep up with it. You talk about a soap opera. Verse 20, then shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes in the glory of the king. What, what's that? Is that? What's his name? I can, a raiser of taxes. That's an American term, isn't it? Okay, the thing, the thing I forgot to tell you was when he went against, Rome, when Rome beat him, there's something that came out of that little arrangement. Oh, by the way, we're going to tax you because you were a naughty boy. It's going to be a thousand talents a year of taxes you're going to pay to the Roman Empire because you didn't do the right thing. So what are you going to do then? You're going to go back home and you're going to raise taxes. Do you know what happened during this, during this time in history in the Israelites? They were taxed amazingly. It was just like through the roof. They couldn't hardly even live. That's what that guy did. And that was Antiochus the Great's son that lasted a very short time because there was another guy that came on board, an imposter. One that's, how would you like to have this on a tombstone? A very vile person. <laughs> That's exactly what it tells us. So look at this. There's a guy that comes on board. He's not even has no, no business being in the king, it says in verse 21. And in his estate, that would be this uh, Antiochus, the great son, who was raising taxes, the tax raiser. In his estate shall stand up a vile person. That's how he's described. To whom they shall not give the honor of the king. He, had, he was not in the king line. There was nothing that he should have been. But he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flattery. Now, if you remember in our previous studies back in chapter 9, this guy's name is Antiochus Epiphanes. He is the closest resemblance to the Antichrist in all of Scripture. This is the one that literally lived, and he was from, he was from the land of the north, from the Seleucids, okay, out of the Greece Empire, because remember, it was split four ways. Still with me? Okay. Sort of? Okay. The king of the... This, this, is, this is what's... Okay, let me try this. King of the north, king of the south, those are two facets of the Grecian Empire that was splintered four ways after Alexander the Great was, was dead. Okay? These are the two we're focusing on. Antiochus Epiphanes, which is the closest thing that I can describe for you, Scripture describes for you, on the level of the Antichrist... He's the closest thing that's ever lived on this earth. He's vile, he's wretched, he's wicked, he's evil, and he does things just like the coming Antichrist will do. Flattery. Flattery. He comes with peaceableness. He could do a peace treaty without anybody being upset. 
He was the guy that just smoothly, in fact, look at how he's described. The guy's smooth as silk. He'll come in peaceably, obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And with the arms of a flood shall he be overflown from before him and shall be broken. Yes, also the prince of the covenant. And after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully. For he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. He shall enter peaceably even unto the fattest places of the province. And he shall do that which his fathers have not done, nor his father's fathers. He shall scatter among them the prey and spoil and riches. Yes, he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds even for a time. He's almost like a Robin Hood. He's, he's viewing and scanning these areas where there's a lot of rich and a lot of prosperity. And he moves in and he literally divides and gives it to the poor. He looks like a hero. He's like this madman that's fully and completely just being everything that everybody wants. But he's, Equality. Oh, excuse me? Equality. Yeah, and he looks, <laughs> he looks so good on the surface. And then all of a sudden, things turn around. This sounds like the time when the Antichrist comes on board, right? He's described for us in Revelation chapter, I think it's 12, 11 or 12, where it talks about he comes with a bow, but there's never described as having any arrows. He does peace treaties. Watch this. Let's keep going. Verse 25, he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for they shall forecast devices against him. Literally what that means is the king of the south, the, the Egyptian king that's now coming against him, literally from within his own camp, he was compromised and was taken out. It was his own aides, his own, I would just say his own emissaries, people that were surrounding him, literally, uh, what's the right word? Um, Betrayed. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. They betrayed him. They literally betrayed him. So let's keep going. Yea, they that feed of the portion of his meat shall destroy him, and his army shall, be, shall overflow, and many shall fall down slain. Now watch. Here's, here's verse 27. And both these kings' hearts, this is the north and south, Antiochus Epiphanes, and the, his counterpart in Egypt, the south, shall be to do mischief, and they shall speak lies at one table. What do they call that? We do it today. We gather around, we have a Middle East peace treaty. This was a Middle East peace treaty. Okay, this is, this is going to be a really tough question for you. From the beginning of time till today, how many of the peace treaties have been broken? Every single one of them. Every single one. In fact, that's the one thing I know when they sign one. Well, there's one more that will be broken. That's just the way it works. It'll go to the very end. But it's interesting to me to watch. Again, I want to, I want to bring play to this. Last, or it would have been last week, but in chapter 9. How did the tribulation start? How did the Antichrist come on the scene? He signed a peace treaty with Israel, and they believed him. See, today, if you were going to ask the prime minister of Israel after they do a peace treaty, I think, I mean, I don't know this, but if you would just get him aside and you'd say, Sir... Do you think this one's really going to last? I'm convinced they'd say no. But it was a thing to do. It bought us another year, another month, another something, right? We don't have to fight right now. But they, they just feel that it's going to... And you know what? Antichrist is going to be so smooth, so Antiochus Epiphanes type. He's going to sell it. And they're going to believe it. I can't... I, I don't know who would do that today yet. I don't know who it would be. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Okay, let's keep moving. 
And they shall speak lies at one table. They're all getting together. It shall not prosper, of course not, for yet the end shall be at the time appointed. Then shall he return into his land with great riches. His heart shall be against the holy covenant. That would be against God. He shall do exploits and return to his own land. Again, what is he doing? Blowing right through Israel. And watch what happens now. At the time appointed, he shall return and come toward the south. And it shall not be as the former or as the latter, for the ships of Chittim shall come against him. Those, again, that would be Roman Empire uh, uh, um, beginning, shall we say, therefore he shall be grieved in return. That means he's mad. When it says he would grieve, he's really ticked off and have indignation against the Holy Covenant. He's camping in Israel. So shall he do, and he shall even return and have intelligence for them that forsake the Holy Covenant. In other words, there's, there's traitors as well. There's like, again, these same mercenaries, these same ones that are trusting in Antiochus Epiphanes. They're trading sides. They're leaving God away. This, this sounds so contemporary to me. There are those that would rather trust men and ideas than they would trust God. It's a rampant thing. It's the same in America today. We must trust only God. Period. And they, you know, the sellout. It's a sellout. Of course, he's 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 whacked. This guy is whacked. An arm shall stand on his part. They shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice. They shall place the abomination that makes death desolate. We've talked about this before, but he literally made, he took the statue of Zeus and put it right up in the front of the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then he and his cohorts, whoever they were, his people surrounding him, they went and got a sow and they slit her throat. They took the blood and chalices and literally spread it all over the temple. And it wouldn't be a good day to be a priest that day because they took pork. And if you wouldn't eat it, they literally stuffed it down your throat. And that word abomination of desolation, you see it in several places in Scripture. Think of what it, break it down. Abomination, in other words, it would be completely forbidden to be there. Of, abom- of desolation would mean it's completely abandoned. He had so desecrated this temple that no one could or would even go there. Why would he pick that? Because he hated the Jews. He hated everything they were about. He hated God. He hated everything that God loved. What do you think? Who do you think was infiltrating him? Satan. Satan. And probably, remember what, remember, go all the way back now, where the angel that gave the message to Daniel said, I must go contend with the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece will be coming as well. Can you imagine the dueling and the, and the spiritual warfare that was taking place during all of this? You see, what we see on, on our level visibly, it's so far beyond that in the spiritual realms, I can't even describe it for you. I mean, God has just, through Daniel chapter 10, just peeled the veil back just enough for us to get a peek in what's going on in the invisible world of spiritual warfare. I think it's at a heightened level which we could not even imagine today. Because it's not just the United States. It's worldwide. It is worldwide. It's crazy. It's crazy. Okay, let's keep going on. Oh, my goodness. Time is... How come nobody stopped me? Because I've got to get to one more verse and then we can, we can move on. Verse 32. And such as do wickedly against the covenant... Shall he corrupt by flatters? In other words, these are the same people. When he talks about the covenant, he's talking about God's covenant with Israel. These are the ones that could not be trusted with God's covenant. But watch this. I want you to see this. Even when things are terrible, 
Let's read 32 again. Watch it develop. As such do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. Just remember now in, in Revelation where it talks about the Antichrist which will deceive those that take the mark. That's a resistance of God. These are people that are resisting God. He's going to get, this is Antiochus Epiphanes. He's getting them through flatteries and lying to them and they're taking it. Why? Because they're not trusting God. Now watch the next, this is, this is another one I have underlined in my Bible. I'm not telling you to do it. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Or in another version you might have, and resist him. You know how you can resist is through prayer. That's exactly what Daniel was even doing. He was resisting the, the spiritual enemies. He got the demons fired up enough to where they were fighting for him to get the message from God. No matter where you're at, this, I, I think we're going to stop right here. This is where we're going to stop. This is, this is so very important. Is the fact of no matter where you are in a society whether you're in China where it's illegal to be a Christian, whether you're in a Muslim country where it's illegal to be a Christian, whether it's in America where it's approaching the point of where we shouldn't be a Christian. You've noticed I've chosen my words carefully. If we know and trust our God, we will be strong. No matter what. Now, that doesn't mean that our life isn't taken. In fact, we'll look at, those, we'll look at that next week possibly. But this is a key component. And this is, what's, this is what I see happening almost every nation that's turned away from God. They get their eyes on leaders, on humans, that's going to take them out of their demise. And you know what happens? God is not honored. And it's just like these men, these non-covenant people, they trusted in Antiochus the Great. They trusted Antiochus Epiphanes, and guess what? They were led right down the primrose path, literally to destruction. If this nation is not going to wake up and trust God and God alone, we are on the road to destruction because that's what the Bible says. God is not changing courses. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, exactly. We're cruising at an alarming rate. We are losing at an alarming rate. Okay, there's, there's so much more here, but we have to... Is, is, there, is there any question, something that, I've, that just is burning, you can't stand it, you need a question answered? Well, I did amazing then. There was a, there was yeah. a program on, on the History Channel about Cleopatra. Okay. And it does, it kind of, it follows through on what you're talking here. I mean, it was a history of the historical view on Cleopatra. Yeah. And it follows, <laughs> and that, read, read so many things that you're just, Oh, there, there is, there's another verse you should write down because there's something that's interesting here. Because there's, there's so many people that contend with chapter 11 of Daniel not being written by Daniel. What you've just described, I know it went fat. Don't, don't even worry about understanding all of it. The point I really wanted to make very clear, though, was the fact it's incredibly accurate for being written two to 400 years in advance. Okay? That's, amazing. That's the part I, want you, I really do want to get that. But in, in Matthew, write this down. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. 
Literally, Jesus Christ attributes the prophecy of abomination of desolation written by Daniel. And if Jesus doesn't know anything, then there's no point in even going any further. Now, there actually, this is a true statement. This was given, I think it was, uh, I don't remember, was it John MacArthur? Somebody said that there was a, a liberal university that was talking about the fact that the book of Daniel was not written by Daniel because it was written, it had to be written after these historical events because it's way too accurate. And a student raised his hand and he said, what will you do with Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15 that says Jesus acknowledged Daniel as the writer of Daniel? And this guy, believe this or not, responded and retorted, I know more about prophecy than Jesus did. (laughs) And this is a leader of spiritual people. Do you see the audacity? That's called rebellion, pride, maximized. Isn't it amazing how pride can just literally ensnare us? Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Okay. Even, Even Peter said... We saw him, we touched him, we were there, but we also have a more sure word of prophecy. So he wants us to understand that this that's the full that's the full package. That's the full package. That's how blessed we are. You know, and, and I and often think wouldn't wouldn't it be nice to just there's a there's a there's a pillar of fire at night. And if it moves, we move. If it stays, we stay. I don't know how much clearer this could be. And then for uh, chapter 11 of Daniel, to me, I, I mean, yeah, don't, don't get bogged down in the, in the minor detail. Because the point is this. To write that accurate, detailed, prof- prophetic information and to, to just literally just hang all those pieces on the tree of history, I know with a shadow of a doubt then in the rest of this Bible, the things that are unfolding, those are going to happen. And when, when Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, he means that because death happens. Death came by sin and sin unto all because Adam sinned. That's true. You see, all of the things, and when it says, I promised I'd read, that's another, you got more homework. Ah, Revelation chapter 21, 22, read those. Those are fantastic because that's going to happen just as well. Okay, I'm going to pray. That's what we're going to do right now. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for Daniel. Thank you for walking us through this prophecy that is so incredibly detailed so powerful so overwhelming that it allows us to see you as being truly awesome sovereign omnipotent and omniscient among other things father beyond our wildest imagination even descriptions but you surpass everything we could possibly imagine in an awesome and almighty god thank you for what you're doing in our lives and thank you that we can trust in you even when things aren't going well in society or surrounding relationships, whatever it might be, if we trust you, we are safe and we are strong. Thank you and take us. Move us as you, as you need us to be. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.